0: Good morning, church. I think I can, I'm good without touching it. Perfect. My name's Alicia, and I'm the Director of Youth Ministries here at New Life Church. And I have to say, Jesse and I were talking about this. Jesse's like, this is probably way more exciting than weddings. I have to agree, Jesse. <laughs> we have a baptism today. Oh, right there. <laughs> You're right there. Yeah. This is exciting. Um, So baptism, it's, we've been talking about this invitation to a journey. and. This is a part of that, I would say. It's this proclamation, this declaration of saying, I love Jesus, and I am on this journey. And it's out of this, this response of obedience to what God calls us to do. Even his own son did that. And so Nevea is here to do that this morning. So I'm going to give her the mic. She's going to share her testimony. And we are going to baptize her.
1: So I hadn't known who God was for a while ago and it was just something that was untalked about in my home. I never even thought about God until I was put into a foster care with a lady who was a Jehovah Witness, and I had started going to church with her. I still didn't think about God much because I was little. When I moved to a different foster care in Victoria, I went to a church program at the New Life Church in Victoria, and it was for kids who were seeking the Lord. I started thinking more about God, but never decided to fully put myself there to really trust Him or believe Him. In 2015 I got adopted into a Christian family and only then did I start believing in God which was probably a year later. At first I saw God as a figment of my adoptive parents imagination and I didn't understand who He was. I didn't start having faith in the Lord because my parents did but because I really believe that Jesus is our Savior who died on the cross for everyone. Once I was in grade 8 I started going to youth group here at New Life and I have learned more about God and my faith in Him. These past two summers I went to a camp and it was really eye-opening and that's when I decided I wanted to be baptized. I really felt God's presence over me at camp and I connected to people in ways I have never really expected. God has worked his way into my life through the people around me and I have chosen to accept Jesus in my life as my Savior. The verse I have chosen is actually five verses and they are found in Psalm 73. The reason I have chose these verses is because without Jesus I really am a senseless animal. Um, I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny, whom have I in heaven but you. I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may, may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Psalm 73, verse 26. God has been doing wonderful things in my life, including an upcoming missions trip to Guatemala, and I'm now in the deeper program and I'm thankful he has given me this opportunity.
0: Um, I'm just gonna quickly share a verse with Nevea that I chose a couple years ago, and I've been praying um, the verse over her. And when we were building our house, um, I actually wrote the verse. Um, it's on the, the floor joists, so it's above your ceiling. Um, written on the in there so (laughs) but to all who believed him and accepted him he gave the right to become children of God they are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan but a birth that comes from God all right Bea do you believe that Jesus is the son of God I do do you believe that he came to this earth and died for your sins I do and you believe that God is Lord of your life, and you will submit your will to His will. I do, Neveah. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you.
2: <laughs> Woo! Come on, Mama! Hug her
1: in. Oh. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Church, for celebrating with us. Um, I'm just going to pray. I do. <laughs> I did this to you last night, didn't I? Oh, I'm not going to be able to get it out. <laughs> okay, I'll pray, I'll pray. Um, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for this church family that can be here and celebrate this with her, um, her mom in the water, her auntie here supporting, and dad and siblings in the audience. God, this is a joyous time. Lord, we pray for this journey that Nevaeh is stepping on. Lord, we pray that she walks with a sensitive heart to your leading. That she is aware of how you are working in her life, even in the darkest times and the joyous times. God, may she be aware of your presence. Thank you for this. Thank you for her. In your name, amen. Thank you, church.
3: Uh, that is good stuff. Um, God, is, God is working in our lives. Uh, it's a reminder that, that God is always up to something, even in your own life today. He's up to something. And it's really our job to be aware of that and to pursue that. So I hope that uh, you have been touched today by what you have seen and what you will experience uh, this morning. Hey, Isaac, uh, we're here to do three-ish things. Yeah, we are. So I'm uh, Scott Hemingway. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome to uh, Sunday morning. It's good. Isaac, uh, what what happened on
2: Tuesday night? Well, on Tuesday, there was a vote. There was a vote. Yeah, a vote.
3: And the vote was for what?
2: For uh, if Simon was going to become our pastor.
3: And what were the results?
2: Simon hit it out of the park.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty exciting. It was, uh, if you weren't part of it, if you didn't read the news that came out, we want to be able to tell you that it was 99%. I mean, that's almost perfect. And we're not perfect, so, but we're close. And we're really excited that they, their, uh, Simon and his family are going to be here, um, hoping in April uh, we'll see them. But there's a lot that has to be done. If you can pray for one thing, pray for their house to sell. They got to sell a house and then come here and, and buy one. But uh, yeah, so that's pretty exciting news. I'm really excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another announcement. If you have uh, been, not with us, as we started in September on this invitation to a journey, uh, and you want to kind of go back and and revisit that or or see the information, it's all online, and you can go and you can click down, and an invitation to a journey, and the messages are up there, as well as the information and the worksheets that I have. And so today it was talked about, this is part of the invitation, God has given us an invitation to walk with him and to journey with him. And so if you would like that information, if you've missed that, please go to our website and you can listen to messages as well as grab the material that is at offer there.
2: Sweet, do you guys want my points now? Yeah, yeah, do you want the point? Am I going? Sweet, yeah. okay, okay, cool. My point is about oranges. Do you guys wanna see something cool with oranges? Kind of, what do, you, what do you mean, yeah? Do you guys want to see something cool with oranges? Yes, yes. Okay, Scott, can you hold this mic for me? I will, yes. Okay. I learned this when I was traveling in the circus. Hey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, do you guys know what uh, language oranges speak? Mandarin. <laughs> ah, I'm sorry, that was a horrible joke. Anyways, okay, so there's an organization out there called the Basket Society. They were funded in 1988 by a bunch of local Couch and Valley members who saw a need in their community and wanted to fill it. And that need was hunger. Um, And so ever since then, they have been feeding hundreds of people every single year. And this December 17th, they are doing a Christmas dinner. And they've asked a bunch of people, including us, to... Provide an item. And our item is oranges. 500 of them, to be precise, which sounds like a lot, but it's only 25 boxes. And so we're asking as a congregation for you, if you feel led out of the goodness of your heart and by the Lord, to go out and buy oranges and bring them here by next Sunday, latest next Wednesday. Does that sound good? Good. Sick. Sweet.
3: <laughs> so, you did, Isaac, are you with me still?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm there.
3: <laughs> All right, then you, excellent. So there it is, I've uh, got the announcement up there for you. We want 500 oranges by next Sunday, uh, so please go out and buy a box, bring them here, and we're going to uh, feed those and give them something special, so it's great. My, our last announcement is our Kavod. We have been talking about Kavod, and we are inviting you, do we have a something? Nope. Okay, Uh, we are inviting you to participate. This is what we are doing at Boys Road, and what that is is we are going to provide toys for folks at Boys Road for families to go and purchase toys at a very nominal cost because we're bringing those in, and it's really bringing dignity and honor to, uh, to our families that can't afford to engage in this way. So we are asking if you would like to give either uh, toys or to give money, and we're looking for brand new toys, not something that you have in your closet that your grandkids played with, uh, play with, but, t- but new stuff, and then we're going to offer that to those at Boys Road to be able to bring Christmas to them and to bring them to their families. We have one more request, and it starts next week. Uh, <clears throat> next week we begin to provide that at Boys Road, and we're looking for propane fire pits. If you have one and you're willing for them for uh, Jesse to use this for the next couple of weeks, then please bring it here to the church next Sunday or throughout the week, and then we'll get it back to you after a couple weeks. That way, as families are standing around, they've got you know hot chocolate in their hand. It's nice and warm. It's inviting. I have one, Jesse. You can have mine, but we're looking for, I don't know, four or five. It'd be great. Oh, look it. We got another one there. Do I see another hand? Um, so that's fantastic. So if you would like to be part of that, please let us know. Isaac, I think that's it.
2: I think that's it. Sweet. Sweet. Thank, Thank you. you.
3: This morning uh, is a privilege to be able to have Tom Hilchi with us. And uh, Tom, it's been a while since you've been up here. End of June. End of June. End of there June. There we go. Uh, and I appreciated your message then. And don't let don't do not that
4: that orange story was very appealing. <laughs> <sighs>
3: she
4: <said> or original. <laughs> yeah, it was or original, that's right.
3: Tom, you are working at Camp Imidine.
4: I am. I am serving at Camp Imidine and uh, just thoroughly enjoying it there. I brought a couple of slides just to uh, do that. You you served at Camp Imidine, I but yep. uh, Camp Imidine has uh, some interesting places. Um, we had over 1,900 campers this year. I, I think the first time since COVID that that's happened. And so a number of people were there and... Uh, uh, gave away 265 Bibles, which is pretty cool. Uh, we are invested in spiritual growth and discipleship. Uh, we had 27 students. Now, look closely at the picture. You're going to recognize some faces in there um, in the leadership training program, and Alicia was leading that. And some of the the the, uh, the young people from New Life were part of that program. And so it's interesting that camping ministry and church ministry and discipleship um, they, they really go together well. Uh, how many people in this year, 2022, either volunteered, attended, or worked or served in some way at Camp Imadine this summer? Put up your hands. Um, yeah, and Alicia, so thank you very much for doing that. Uh, it's great to see some of you guys uh, as well and uh, to meet the people. But it's, in, in some ways, it's, it's, there's kind of a partnership that goes on with that, and so uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, staff, we had a number of staff there, and interesting as well, a number of the uh, permanent full-time staff are attending this church. Pretty cool as well. Pretty good, yep. Um, And then uh, New Life Church sent 51 campers and had 19 staff and volunteers. So again, sometimes you don't necessarily see or or feel that as a church, but uh, we have a kind of a combined ministry. And like, this baptism was amazing. The, the the concept of adoption that was spoken about here is amazing. J.I. Packer once said that adoption is probably the, the most fundamentally amazing idea in Christian theology. Because we are taken as people who didn't belong in the family of God and brought into the family of God. And so this was beautiful and a uh, wonderful thing. So, so that's good, and we have a bit of a continuum. We're introducing people, uh, biblical foundation growth, but really, the reality of that is that hand-in-hand, that hand, churches and camp uh, work together, and so it, it's really neat. Like, I, I thank New Life for being a big part of uh, the Imadine family, and, uh, and I hope that we're a blessing as well, as well here. So, change the page completely. Okay. Where were you born?
3: <clears throat> I was born in California.
4: Okay, yep. that's, that's not a bad thing. And <laughs> what was the name of the town you were born in? I was that-
3: born in San Andres, California. I tell people I'm not a faulty guy.
4: Oh, okay. Okay, fair enough. Um, when you were born, uh, not even going to ask when, uh, but uh, everywhere that we've lived, you or I, uh, there's always been somewhere else that people didn't want to be from. So in California, when you were in your part of California, where was it that was not a good place to be from? California. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
3: You know, probably, I was born in Northern California, so it would have been Southern California. Southern
4: California. So I was born in Calgary. And so, yeah, the worst place to be from then would be Edmonton. Um, so the last seven years before coming to Imidine, I served a church in Edmonton Edmonton. (laughs) and, uh, yeah, I know. And, uh, so I, I don't know if that was purgatory. No, we don't believe that, Um, but no, it was, uh, it was something there, but there's always places that aren't good to be from. And Jesus was born in an interesting place called Nazareth and that was a place that nobody really wanted to be from and i'll explain that in a couple of minutes from there and oh one other thing okay. i work with uh, i work i work with scott climey at at Camimity. No, not scott chris chris climey thanks Climby. buddy no and and so you're you're a helpful guy <laughs> um, so so chris and i have we developed a really great friendship and so when i spoke here in in June, we talked about uh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and, right. and, and the passage here in First John. And I mentioned the fact that Scott... Chris. I do this all the time, the it's, name thing.
3: It has nothing to do with age. Go ahead. No,
4: it has everything to do... Um, <laughs> that Chris loved and still loves red tools. Right, you, I don't know if you remember that when you were here, but he loves red tools. And so, Chris was feeling generous one day, and you know what he did? He, he bought me. Did he buy you a red? A tool? red tool.
3: Really? It fits in your pocket.
4: Great. That's what Chris okay. Climey bought for me. So when you see Chris Climey, you just let him know how generous of a guy he really is. That's uh, Wonderful thing to there. Um, I want you to take your Bibles and open them, and uh, open to John chapter one, and uh, we'll be looking at that. and looking at. Uh, Jesus in particular with the ideas of light and peace. And so taking in with the, uh, the Advent camp, there's my friend, Chris, right there through the, through the door. How you doing, buddy? Thanks for this. Um, and, uh, working with, with that, but John chapter one, and let me read for you. Verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness of the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And we've already heard this verse this morning. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then John 8 verse 12 says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then as we go back into the book of Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 1 it says. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun. And the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way by the sea. and The land beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the nations. The people of who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those people who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And then verse 6, more familiar to us. For to us a a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Let's commit this time to prayer. Father, no matter where we're from, help us to see what matters is your love for us. The light that Jesus has brought into the world, the peace that you bring to us through Jesus Christ our Prince of Peace. I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to what your spirit has for us in your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson in terms of Zebulun, Naphtali, and Nazareth. And one of the interesting things in uh, John chapter 1, down about verse 46, uh, there was this discussion about where the Messiah might be born and, and uh the the, the point comes up, can anything good come from Nazareth? There was a little bit of bias, negative bias toward Nazareth. It was a hick town. In fact, the only reason we know about Nazareth today is because of Jesus. If we didn't know about Jesus, Nazareth would never be spoken of. Nazareth is one of those places that was there. On the map, you see I've put a red pin where Nazareth is. And if you kind of see the Sea of Galilee on the right and on the left, that little kind of uh, horn-shaped thing on the uh, the Mediterranean Sea, uh, Nazareth is kind of right in the middle of that. And so the next few maps are a little bit different uh, uh, view of things, but they show some things there. But that's where Nazareth is. Uh, When Israel was settled uh, after Moses and then when Joshua comes in and they start to take the land, the 12 tribal groups, the 12 tribal families were all given uh, space within the land. And So there was one of the tribes was called Zebulun and one of the tribes was called Naphtali. Again, not some of the key tribes, but they were given space in the land of, of Israel. And Zebulun is right there. And right on the end of Zebulun is where Nazareth would be. So this is why Nazareth and Zebulun and Naphtali and Isaiah 9 are now starting to to tie together. And uh, over there, you'll also see an interesting little town. It's called Megiddo. And again, Megiddo, we don't really perhaps think a lot about. But this valley of Megiddo goes by another name, Armageddon. That's a name we're familiar with. We know about Armageddon because in our end times and we, we read in Revelation that this is a place that's going to be of incredible conflict and war. And the problem even in Isaiah's time and in Jesus' time is that Nazareth and Zebulun and Naphtali were all in, uh, in the line of fire. Every time a nation would uh, invade, they would come through. This particular map has this green arc in there. That's called the Fertile Crescent. And so whoever came to invade, uh, whether it was uh, from Egypt up to Assyria or Assyria to Egypt, guess where they went through? They went through this Fertile Crescent, this green space, and they always went through the Valley of Megiddo, and they always tracked through Zebulun, Naphtali, and went by Nazareth. Well, that seems simple enough. So the Assyrians came through, and so that's people like Tiglath-Pileser, Shalmaneser, Sennacherib, and these guys are all in the book of Second Kings from chapter 15 to chapter 19. And so if you've read that, you'll see that, but they all wind up going through Zebulun and Naphtali, if they're fighting Egypt or each other. And then we wind up uh, looking at more individuals. I think we're stuck. Give me the next slide, if you would. The next slide is Babylon. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes from Babylon, but he doesn't go straight across the Arabian Desert. He goes up through that fertile crescent, and guess what? He winds up going through Zebulun and Naphtali. And give me the next slide, uh, Even the Greeks and the Romans coming up from there, they wind up going through Zebulun and Naphtali. So back to the next, or up forward to the next slide again. You see this slide. The red line is one of the trails. The next slide shows another trail that they go through. Give me the next one, please. The invading armies would take some of those pathways. And the problem with those pathways, the invading armies never brought groceries with them. You see where this is going? So if you were a farmer and you had a flock of sheep, or if you had grain, or if you had fruit, or if you had anything of value, the invading army, when they came by and camped in the beautiful valley of Megiddo, they would help themselves to whatever your farm had. And so your sheep and your goats and your cows And your chickens all fed an invading army. Now, think about your inventory as a businessman. Every time an invading army comes by, they wipe out your inventory. It's going to take you years to rebuild a herd, it's going to take you years to recover from the economic hardship. And so now Zebulun and Naphtali have wound up being, through the courses of history, being this economically depressed place. So that when Isaiah is writing in chapter 9 about this dark and gloomy place, the land of Nassau, the people walking in darkness, it's a depressing place to live because every time they start to get ahead, somebody comes through and takes everything they've built and grown, and all of their wealth, economically depressing. These are people who need hope, and these are people who need peace. And so Isaiah 9, 6 talks about the wonderful counselor and finishes with the prince of peace. If there would be peace, and these armies would quit marching through our land, we would have The ability to grow our own food and to have some financial stability and well-being. And so Nazareth is actually a small, what we might call in Alberta, a hick town. Is that a bad thing to say? No. You know what that means. And so it's one of these towns that nobody wants to be from because it's economically depressed Anybody from there is poor. And that's a horrible thing to look at and to to talk about. But that's a bias that shows up. And so Nazareth is the capital city of despair. No one wants to come from there. And so now to have the idea that a Messiah would be born in Nazareth and deliver the nation... That's where losers come from. The Messiah is supposed to be the king, the lion of Judah, a whole different tribal area. What in the world is he doing in Nazareth? That's part of his mission to bring light and hope and peace. But think about living in Nazareth. People up there are kind of stuck. They're growing up and living in a place where they have been raided and that despair and that, that despondency of always, just as you're getting ahead, somebody takes all your stuff. And they're stuck and it's horrible. And it's a terrible existence. They needed hope. They needed peace. They needed more than what they did. And Jesus comes along and the gospel of John says, I am the light of the world. And he talks about that. And now he's talking about peace. And we have two definitions for peace. One is the absence of war. But there's a deeper level of peace, and we understand this as well, that peace is not just the absence of war, but peace is, is a sense of deep well-being. And that's the, the Hebrew word for shalom. And so prince of peace, uh, the Hebrew is, is sar for prince and shalom, prince of peace, sar shalom, he's the prince of peace and well-being. And that so that when this child comes in Isaiah 9 and brings peace, it's not just absence of war, which would still be helpful for the people in. Naphtali and Zebulun, because armies. But it's deeper than that. It's not just absence of war. It's a well-being. It's a it's a newfound joy in what's taking place. We read in John 1 that, that the darkness has not overcome this light or has not understood it. And there's a sense that I wonder that John maybe was trying to say that both the darkness can't understand it but also can't overcome. I think he maybe meant both of those things. And the darkness is not able to cast a shadow on the peace and the light that Jesus is bringing. John 14:27 drives a little bit deeper. And Jesus says, "I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart." I've overcome the world. And Jesus is talking about a peace that may not always be reflected in the absence of, or of war, but there's something else that's going on. Uh, again, in John 14, he says, Peace, I live you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Jesus isn't promising us absence of war. He's promising us something a little bit deeper that starts really internally, but then as it's internal, internal, uh, we start to, to bring peace to others because of the peace we've begun to receive from Christ. The idea of peace and shalom, biblically, carries a couple of ideas. First, it's a gift from God. We can't make our own peace. Now, we sort of can, but we can't make that depth of peace that is really being spoken of in the well-being. It's ultimately a gift of God, that God has to be involved in our lives for that peace to find its fullness. And the second one is, is that peace will ultimately blossom in eternity. So we're on a pathway that is growing in peacefulness and well-being. But you know what peace is in your own life. You know your own desire for peace. You know your own desire for people around you to engage and to be part of that peace. When you close your eyes and think about areas in your own life and you go, you know what? I would like the Lord to bring peace or well-being or contentment or peace stability or goodness. That's the kind of thing that in our prayers, and that's the kind of thing that God is gifting into our lives. So that we can be in the middle of turmoil. We can be in the middle of conflict. We can be in the middle of a train wreck of life. And yet there's this spark and seed from God that is giving us peace that in the middle of the train wreck, in the middle of the adversity, in the middle of the hardship, we know God is with us. And this is where things like perseverance and contentment start to grow from. I often wonder and think about definitions, and sometimes when I think about them, I go, well, if if peace is well-being and shalom is peace and well-being, what's the opposite of that? And the opposite of peace and well-being is curse. The curse of sin, and you go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, in particular Genesis 3, all of those curses that have come because of sin. Talk about the ideas of, of conflict. That as we work. We will be in conflict with the environment. We've got weeds. We've got sweat. We've got labor. We've got toil. It's hardship. We no longer will enjoy what God has gifted us. Relationships between husband and wife. Are now going to be marked with conflict. So the opposite of peace is, this, is conflict. And. There's a conflict that we have between ourselves and God. Sin has created a barrier. It has created uh, a, a distance, a separation, we all understand. And we desire a closeness with God. We desire this peace. We desire the hope and the fulfillment, the light. And we're we're wanting this. And we know it only comes through. Relationship with God, and that relationship is brokered by Jesus Christ. He's the one who brings us there. Isaiah 9.6 comes back to, there will be no more gloom for Zebulun and Naphtali, and we can throw in Nazareth. And the next slide comes in and says, the people who have walked in darkness. And you and I have walked in darkness at points in our lives. And yet we see a spark of hope and light in Jesus. The land who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness. On them, a light has shone. And then Isaiah 9, 6 says, uh, it's the next slide for me. For us, a child is born to us, a son is given, and we have the prince of peace. Is that your desire? For yourself? Is that your desire for others around you? That the prince of peace would be there? John brings us back to that. John chapter 1 verse 12. And I have a slide for that. To all who did receive him. Who believed in his name. He gave the right to become the children of God. And then the next verse. John 3.16. Very familiar. God so loved the world. Gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the seed of peace. And the next verse, the conclusion of John, the gospel of John. John gives us the purpose statement of why he wrote John. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And that by believing in his name, you may have life in his name. And here's what I want you to think about This morning, I want you to think about someone that you can pray for. Someone who's near and dear to you. Maybe a family member, maybe a neighbor, maybe a a co-worker, maybe just someone in your life who is near and dear to you that is not experiencing the peace of God in their lives. We all know people like that. Think of that person, and when you think of the Prince of Peace, ask that the Prince of Peace would become real in their lives but that the Prince of Peace would become real in their lives because you are experiencing the peace that the Prince of Peace has brought you, so that you become now the example of the Prince of Peace in their lives. And the second thing to pray for will be that the Prince of Peace will visit and reside in our own, at times, agitated and troubled lives. Because sometimes we need... A, l- a lot more of that peace in our own lives. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in a few moments, we're going to be celebrating communion. And that celebration of communion is the fact that we have peace with God, that the Prince of Peace is ruling in our lives, and we are able to be in God's presence without fear or shame. That we belong, we are welcomed, and we can enjoy that well being and good place. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we may have thought of someone this morning that we could pray for this Advent season, this this Christmas, this December, where we might be that spark of light, that beacon of peace, that the Prince of Peace, as he rules in our lives, that we would be able to bring peace to another. But as well, Father, we also know in our own lives, we are people and we Struggle with that well being and that sense of peace ourselves. And so, again, we open ourselves to your work in our troubled and agitated lives that the Prince of Peace would bring and develop yet again a deeper level of that well being and that goodness and that joy that comes only from your hand. Father, we're thankful that Jesus is our light and our Prince of Peace. We pray this in your name.